0: You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened have you eaten from the tree that I commanded that you not were to eat from? The man said, the woman you put me here, with, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we read this uh, familiar narrative, we pray as always for insight and understanding into who you are and into who we are and into the relationships you're calling us into with you, with ourselves, and with each other. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, uh, it's Women's History Month, starting uh, in in March. Uh, We have a bunch of, by the way, Advent Hope women who were born in March. Very exciting that we have in this month of International Women's History Day. My wife was born on International Women's History Day. no? No, March 8. Um, do we have any other women's March 8 or uh, March birthdays for women here today? Raise your hand if you're born on March 8. You can raise your hand if you're a man and born on March 8. That's good too. All right. I mean, on March, in March, not on March 8. I'm stuck on March 8 because it's my wife's birthday. Um, everyone, take notice. My wife's birthday. How many times am I going to mention that today? Anyway, on this, uh, during this Women's History Month. For the next four weeks, we're looking at some prominent uh, stories of women in the Bible. And, I mean, it's good to start at the beginning, the first woman. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we read the, a, a little narrative of the first woman in the Bible. Uh, interestingly enough, we don't even get her name. She's only referred to as the woman in Genesis chapter 3. Her name comes later. We'll get to that in a minute. But you want to do a little backstory. Okay, so in Genesis chapter one and two, you have uh, two versions of the creation story. This is common in ancient Near Eastern literature, that if you want to emphasize something as important, you tell it twice. And so Genesis chapter one tells the creation narrative in one form. And then using a a, a different genre, we get uh, the story again in Genesis chapter two. And it's in Genesis chapter two in the creation story where we get the details about two trees that God puts in the garden, the tree of uh, of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Tree of life, God was like, please eat freely from this tree as well as all the other trees in the garden. So the trees are producing fruit. And uh, God is like, please eat from all these including this tree of life this is yours but there's also a tree of the knowledge of good and evil if you read this story again this is Genesis 2 God puts a tree in the the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and is like do not eat from this tree it's been long asked why would God put a tree in the garden and and uh, if he's not going to have them eat from it and uh, it's pretty simple God is a God of consent God wants us to have a relationship that is based on our choice, not being forced or, or powered into something. God is not into control, empowering us to be in a relationship. That's not a healthy relationship. It's something that's forcing you to be in a relationship with them. So God's got consent, and He's like, the only way to have consent is to have an opt out. And the opt out is that uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so humans will always have a choice. God is not into uh, controlling us. And so Adam is there put in the garden and uh, we're told that he feels alone uh, the woman is not with him yet and so everything has been created but he's by himself and so we read this narrative in Genesis chapter 2 verse 20 so the man named gave, gave names to all the livestock the birds in the sky and the wild animals but for Adam no suitable mate was found and so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping He took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh, and then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man, and the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. So you have instantaneously this idea of community in the Bible. Actually, the idea of community in the Bible goes back to Genesis chapter one, where we're we're given the the insight that God is of three persons, and so God has always existed in community with himself. We later find out that these persons are father, son, and spirit, at least that's how they relate to us, and so God has always existed in community. He makes the animals in community, but almost to emphasize the need for community, he creates the first human without community, all by himself. And so the first human recognizes this inner longing for community that he does not have, and God grants that by creating another human. And so you have the first man and the first woman. Again, the first woman doesn't even know, uh, there's no name in the Bible for the first woman. In Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 15, in our text of emphasis today, you have to keep reading to get to the naming part. And so after, so skipping now to the, the end of Genesis 3, Genesis 3, 20 to 4, 1, it says this. Uh, Adam uh, named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all uh, the living. When the uh, Bible was uh, translated into uh, Greek, uh, that was known, known as the Septuagint, uh, they actually used the word Zoe. The word for life is the translation of Eve's uh, name. So she was the, the one who brings life. Uh, Eve was the one who was going to perpetuate the line of humanity, and so Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, "The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil." In this context, in this, in this, uh, in this uh, context, uh, the serpent was not wrong. The first humans did learn about good and evil. When they ate from the tree, that was not a lie. That was absolutely accurate. They suddenly now had insight that only before only God had. They knew what it meant to have good and evil. They knew the distinction now. And so the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. They must not be allowed to reach out their hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So they're like, the tree of life has got to be off limits because we can't have these these people just living on and on in their brokenness. It's just going to perpetuate their own brokenness at some point for their own sake. They just can't live on and on indefinitely like this. And so, uh, verse 23 says So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden and uh, sent them out, and Adam had to work the ground from which he had been taken after God drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Then we turn this, so that's the end of chapter three, and we go then to, and then to uh, chapter four, which says this. Um, Adam made love to his wife, and, be- and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Now, I don't know if they knew what was going to happen when that happened, but I was surprised. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. This is the first time this would happen. You would imagine that was somewhat of a surprise. Oh, oh. Um, And she said this, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. So this is the first, some of you are, uh, are either first-time parents or you're going to be first-time parents, right? And so, you know, because of the billions of people that have existed on planet Earth, you kind of knew what was going to happen when you did what you did to perpetuate this. And so there's no surprise um, and yet there's still, I would imagine, some like little anxiety, like what is going to happen. I remember being like, what, how is this actually going to work? Even though when we had our first child, like I was familiar with the process. I knew generally what was going to happen, but it's still, you know, there's a little some questions about how everything's going to work out. So they're the first to do this. So this must have been a big question. And so uh, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man, said uh, Eve. Now little side note here. There is some question about how to translate what Eve said. You know, translating from one language to, some, to another can be challenging, uh, and, and especially when you're dealing with ancient literature. Many of you speak more than one language. You know that it can be tricky to say, you hear one thing in your language of origin and to translate it to someone else. So there, there is some debate about how to translate specifically the, the, uh, the statement with the help of the Lord. So Martin Luther, the, uh, the ex-Catholic pe- priest and the, 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 the starter of the Protestant Re- uh, Reformation, when he was translating this passage, he translated it slightly different. There's some debate about what's the best way to translate it. Basically the word or the phrase with the help of the Lord can also be translated like this. Um, I have received a man the Lord, I have received a man, and now that, that's a little bit of different meaning. There's some implication that, the implications that are the same, but with the help of the man and the Lord, and Luther is basically asserting that uh, when Eve has her first child, she is remembering the great promise of Genesis chapter three and verse 15. So we read Genesis chapter three and verse 15 as part of our text of emphasis, scholars who love to use Latin, they call the Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, the first hint of the good news. So if you remember Genesis 3.15, God is, you know, he, he, he does the little investigation and he finds, you know, Adam, what happened? Adam, you know, blames Eve, Eve turns to the serpent and so God curses the serpent. But in the curse, there's a promise. Okay, serpent, there's gonna be a seed. There's gonna be an offspring from the woman and that offspring is gonna crush your head. You're gonna afflict its heel, you're gonna make some pain happen to that seed, but that, that seed is gonna crush your head. Now, uh, Christians have looked at Genesis 3.15 and said, this is the first inclination that there is a Messiah, that God has a plan to rectify the brokenness of the world. So God didn't wanna leave Adam and Eve in, in, in despair, and he's like, I have a plan. There's gonna be seed from the woman. And so Christians say, this is talking about Jesus. All the way back from the very, very beginning, God had a plan to rectify things, to make things right. And so the implication of Luther's translation is that Eve was so looking forward to the Messiah that her firstborn comes and she's like, this is it, this is it, the Messiah has been, uh, been born. So now, whether that translation is accurate or not, both translations indicate that Eve is looking to God for salvation and for rescue and that her big mistake Her big bad decision was not the end. You can make a pretty good case that Eve is the first human of faith. You know, we talk about Adam as the, or uh, uh, Abraham as the man of faith, the original man of faith. I would assert Eve is the first human of faith, right? She takes the promise of Genesis chapter 3, 15, and she's like, whether it's with the help of the Lord I have a man, or God has given me a man, the Lord. Whichever translation, Eve has hope for the future, Eve's a person who understands redemption, that her biggest mistake is not the end. There is a future beyond our mistakes and our bad decisions, and Eve gives us this insight. God has a plan to get us beyond even our big mistakes. Look, there is no bigger mistake than the mistake Eve and Adam took to to, to start this mess in which we're now in. But God is like, that's not the end. Your big mistakes, your bad decisions are not the end. There is a future. And so Eve, looking forward to the future, the original person of faith. Eve bounced back from her bad decisions. So the story of Eve is a story of redemption. It's of bouncing back from bad decisions. Uh, Again, she's the original person of faith. But it leaves us, us with a question. What inhibits us, you and me, from moving forward from our big mistakes? and our bad decisions. Thank God Eve did it. She, she took the promise of Genesis three fifteen. She lived that promise and when she had her first child, she was already looking for the future. Whether she thought that, that, uh, that Cain was gonna be the, the Messiah or she was just acknowledging that God had done this and he was gonna do more in the future, she had faith that God was gonna act. What inhibits us? from moving forward after our bad decisions and uh, big mistakes. Now, I am assuming that you've made some bad decisions and and some mistakes. Would that be, you don't have to answer, but would that be fair to say? I think that's fair to say, right? You've, You've made some bad decisions and big mistakes. What inhibits you? Some of us are trapped in those bad decisions and big mistakes. We, like, can't get over it. What's inhibiting us from moving beyond our bad decisions and big mistakes? As always, I'm sure we could come up with a long list. I have a couple for you. First of all, shame and fear inhibit our ability to move beyond our mistakes and our bad decisions. This was evidenced, by the way, again, as you know, in Genesis chapter three, right? What immediately happened? In Genesis 3, 8, it says that the man and his wife, they heard the sound of the Lord God. Now, we're imagining that this has happened before, that God had come and there was excitement that God was coming and he was with them in, 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 in for, a form that they could uh, dialogue with and rec- recognize and look forward to. But now God comes in the cool of the evening and they hear that, that God comes and what do they have? They have shame. Suddenly, by the way, the first thing that happens is they recognize when, when they make the decision to go their own way, to eat the fruit. They suddenly recognize that they were naked, which was not a problem. They didn't even know, they didn't, that wasn't even an issue, but suddenly they feel like shame about, about this. And so they try to cover themselves out, but now God is coming and they're, they're shameful of what has happened and what they become and what they look like. People have been ashamed of what they look like for a very long time, right? Since sin entered the, the game, people started became, becoming a, afraid of who they were in their body. That's, that's, a, that's, that's almost the first thing that happened, shame about who, who we are. In our body, and so they're ashamed and they hide. And so shame inhibits our ability to move beyond our bad decisions and our big mistakes. And so, when the man and and as the man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord God as they were walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God, which seems silly, but that was the reaction. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Shame inhibits us from being able to move beyond our bad decisions and our big mistakes. And secondly, we have a difficult time moving beyond our bad decisions and our big mistakes because we have nostalgia for a past when our mistakes didn't exist. You know, when you make a, a, a bad decision or a big mistake, you really want a world where there's a DeLorean that you can get into. And you can go 88 miles an hour. And you can speed back as quickly as possible and zoom into the past where that didn't happen. You want to go back. You want to get back and make a time when that did not happen. And so we can easily get lost in nostalgia for a time when things were different. And, and, and the mistakes that we've made didn't happen. And so we would love to be able to jump in that time machine and get back and just, oh, OK. Fix that little problem. Don't, don't do that in that way. And that nostalgia actually inhibits our ability for moving on, because we're thinking back, not forward. We don't have the technology to go back yet. Scientists tell us that it can happen, by the way, in the multiverse, that we might be able to go back. If you go fast enough or whatever, we're not there yet, so we've got to deal with the reality we have right now. You can't go back. Even if you, I don't, even if you could go back, would that help? I don't know, that's for another conversation. We can't go back. And so being obsessed with nostalgic times of when the mistakes you made didn't happen, it's not gonna work because we're only going a forward. And so this obsession with nostalgia inhibits our ability of moving on beyond our bad mistakes and our bad decisions. Finally, we're inhibited from overcoming our big decisions mistakes and our bad decisions because we, for various reasons, uh, are psychologically fragile. And we have a difficult time dealing with our downfalls. I'm saying this kind of universally. I think this is a universal problem. We are all psychologically fragile. Some of us are pretty good at pretending that we're not and acting like we've got it all together. But most of us. Most of us deep down inside have come to the recognition that we, we, we feel fragile, and it causes us to react in all kinds of, of ways. And so uh, when we feel fragile, it makes us very nervous about actually dealing with problems and our inability to actually acknowledge and deal with our mistakes and our problems because we're so fragile, it inhibits us from actually getting healthy and moving beyond things. And so even though we might look like we have it together, there is brokenness inside of us, and most of us, most of us recognize it. And so we try to push it down, and we try to hide it, and we act like we have it all together, but it's still there. And so not dealing with that inhibits us from being able to move on and get on with things. And so we're stuck, we're stuck, arrested development if you will. We're stuck where we are and we obsess about the things that we've done or we haven't done and it can become overwhelming. So uh, how do we move on? How do we overcome this? How do we get beyond this? How do we get beyond our mistakes and get beyond our bad decisions and uh, move forward. Certainly, God is not wanting us to just sit and, 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 and be stuck. We don't want that for ourselves, and yet we're, we, many of us are stuck in our bad decisions and our mistakes, and it's difficult to get over, and so how do we move on? Well, we've come up with a lot of strategies, some of them <laughs> better than others. Uh, first strategy showed up in Genesis chapter 3, and it's blame others, Right? Somebody else is at fault here. It's not me. So God comes uh, to Adam and Eve, and he's like, Adam, what's going on? Why are you hiding? I think that's leading the witness. Is that right a little bit, Derek? Yeah? What's going on? And Adam is like, what does Adam say? You know, I really messed up. Adam's like, that woman you put me here with. What happened to bone of my bone? Remember that speech? Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It sounded good at the wedding. (laughs) The vows came out, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Now, that woman, I haven't even given her a name yet. That woman you put me here with, she did it. And Eva's like, I wasn't expecting that. And so she honestly, rightfully so is like, listen, the serpent, by the way, God, you put the serpent here. That serpent deceived me. Blame others. Blame others. That's, that's, that's a strategy we often use when, when we make a, bad, a, a, a mistake or we make a bad decision and it doesn't go, if things hit the fan, blame someone else. It's their fault. A second strategy that we're really good at is to try to forget about them. You know, you make a bad mistake, you make a bad decision. Let's just forget that ever happened. The problem is our brains don't really work that way. Our brains are very good at remembering things, especially negative, bad things. Right? There's a lot of psychology behind that. Like our brains are good at remembering bad things. And so it sticks with us and it's in there. And so we try to forget and we can't. And so that doesn't work. So well, then, we, then we try to mess with our brains. So you know what we do? We find a substance that helps to kind of adjust our brain chemistry, right? You can find those substances anywhere around, especially here in New York. we got the substances. And so you t- the substance helps, but the only problem is the substances, they go away. Or they lead to other problems. And so that t- forgetting doesn't work. Our brains are are unfortunately too good at that and uh, remembering, and so we don't forget. And so then we do other crazy things like we pretend that it didn't happen, which is different than forgetting. Uh, Forgetting is like trying to forget, but that doesn't work. So then we just pretend like nothing happened. It didn't, you know, uh, let's pretend. Let's live in a, a, a pretend world. And so we just act like things didn't happen, but that doesn't work either. Because again, uh, our, our subconscious knows and the reality is probably everybody else knows. I mean, that's the worst, by the way, when you you have a, a, a mistake, you make a mistake or you, you consciously make a bad decision and everybody else knows. That happened to Eve. Everybody else knows. The only everybody else was Adam, but he knew. And God knew, and so that is the worst. So pretending that the the bad mistake or the bad decision didn't happen. And that doesn't work either. And so then, then, the last one is this. Attempt to live such a good life that your goodness overcomes whatever bad decision or mistake that you've made, right? This is, by the way, the religious response. The religious response is, oh, I'm going to fix it. I am gonna be such a good person that that mistake or bad decision is overshadowed by my glorious righteousness and my morality and my good living. And so religious people love this one. People become religious for this reason, like I am gonna be so spiritual that everyone is gonna forget, or I'm gonna forget that that thing that I've done and then it's gonna help me move beyond that. But you know what? It doesn't work either. First of all, because we're terrible at being good. And so we actually, you know, you you might stir up things and pull up your bootstraps and be good for a little bit. Um, But then it doesn't work very long. And again, our inward being knows that we're not going to make it. And that we're not going to overcome our bad decisions and our, our, our mistakes. And in fact, we're going to probably perpetuate them. And so we are not capable of being the good people that we uh, want to be. And it, that doesn't work anyway. We can't cancel out the bad decisions and the mistakes that we've made because uh, they're there. And until they're dealt with healthfully and holistically, we're not going to be able to move And so just trying to be super spiritual isn't going to do it, and yet so many Christians, so many religious people, so many Adventists have fallen into this trap. I used to be, have you ever heard those testimonies? You heard a testimony, the testimony always starts with, I was a terrible person, I was so bad. We love those testimonies, by the way. The badder you start, oh, that's good. Then the testimony's gonna be good, and then, Oh, I was so bad. And then I became so good. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so what hope do we actually have? Well, our only hope is the same hope Eve had. It's in the promise of Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15, God has a plan. God has a plan. There is a seed that will come from the woman. It's going to come from the woman, by the way. So we're involved in this. Eve is involved in this. Humanity is involved in this. But we're involved as cheerleaders on the side because God is doing everything that needs to be done. Eve said, God has brought me a man. So she was looking for uh, the redeemer, for the Messiah. She's helped, God has helped me to produce this man. She recognizes that it's God doing the work, right? So Genesis 3 and 15 is a promise that God is gonna do the work that fixes the problem. We are never gonna fix it on our own. You're not gonna fix the problem on your own. You're not gonna be able to get beyond your bad decisions and your mistakes on your own. That is the bad news of the Bible. The good news is that God has a plan. There is a Messiah that comes from the seed of the woman and that Messiah is Jesus. Jesus made the right decisions. He wasn't looking out just for himself. In John chapter five and verse 30, these are Jesus' own words. Jesus says, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me." Listen, when Eve uh, was looking at that uh, fruit, whatever the fruit was, I don't think it was an apple. You know, why are we stuck on apples? I don't know. We don't know, what, it doesn't say what kind of fruit it was, but whatever the fruit was, she noticed some things about the fruit. She, she saw it and she thought, it's good, the, the, the text Texas, this looks good to eat. It, it's also good for gaining wisdom. It's pleasing to the eye. These are th- there's three specific things that the text says that Eve noticed about the fruit once she started uh, in this conversation, in this dialogue with the serpent. And so she noticed those things, and those things she thought were going to be good for herself. They're going to be good for me. It's going to increase my knowledge. It's going to taste uh, delicious. And so she took the fruit and she ate the fruit. But Jesus, by contrast, said, I can do nothing on my own. I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Jesus did what Eve uh, did not. Jesus does what we cannot. Our bad decisions and our mistakes are there. Jesus achieved what we can now never achieve. We're told later that Jesus allowed himself to be arrested. The police came, the authorities uh, came. They had the, Jesus and his disciples had been uh, praying together in the garden overnight and so they show up and he didn't run away. His disciples ran away. Uh, he didn't call legions of angels. In fact, Jesus said this. Uh, this is Matthew chapter 26 verse 52. The, the authorities show up and uh, one of Jesus' disciples decide it's time to get the weapons out. And so he pulls out his, his, his sword and Jesus is like, put your sword away. And Jesus said to his disciple, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus is like, I don't need the sword. If we were gonna take care of things that way, I can take care of things. That's not what we're doing here. But how then, Jesus said, would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Jesus was not looking out for himself. Jesus knew that in order to have the moral authority to do what he needed to do to give us the freedom that we can now have, he had to do things in a certain way and he wasn't looking out just for himself. And so in the places that Eve failed, in the places that all of us failed, Jesus has achieved. Genesis three fifteen, the promise, the hope that Eve came to believe in as the first person of faith, it's rooted in God's work through Jesus. Because Jesus didn't make the mistakes and bad decisions that we as humans continually make, we have hope for the future. Because he allowed himself to suffer, to be killed, to sleep in the grave, we have hope for a future that includes his resurrection and ours. God has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves in Jesus. And so Jesus is able to rescue us from ourselves. So while we're wallowing in our inability to move beyond our bad mistakes and our bad decisions, there's still hope because we don't have to rely just on ourselves. Eve didn't have to rely on herself. Thank God she knew that. She's the first person of faith. She had faith that God had promised and God was able to follow through. And God is inviting us into that promise, that same promise that uh, Eve embraced, a promise that he has a plan and he's making All things new. That's the the hope. There are two uh, illustrations that the prophets of old, the prophets of old who spoke much about the Messiah. Genesis 3.15 was only the beginning. It was the first statement, but there was more to come. So the prophets, two of them, Isaiah and Micah, they wrote two illustrations uh, about what happens because of the work of Jesus and how our bad mistakes can be overcome, not by our own getting it together and becoming morally superior or whatever, but as we confess faith in the Lord Jesus. Isaiah says it like this, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So I read this and I think of sneakers. Now the spring is a coming and it's time for the white sneakers Do you have your white, you know, the white sneakers that look very nice in the spring? And some of you, I know we have some sneaker heads here like Roberto, I saw Roberto's very lovely sneakers today. Um, You get the white ones and you want them to remain that way, but that is very difficult for those on Zoom in the New York City streets. If you have made it to August and your sneakers are still white, I don't know what's happening to you. you have, you're floating around the world. You're like the Angel Gabriel where you just hover around the streets. Ah, you know, you can't go down in the subway because if you go down in the subway, something disgusting while you're standing on the platform is going to drip and it might be scarlet. So, Isaiah is like, though your sins are like that disgusting thing that drips on your tennis shoes, your sneakers in the subway, because of him, they'll be white again, like new. That's Okay, so that's Isaiah's uh, illustration. Micah, another prophet talking about the Messiah, he says it like this, talking about God and then what's going to happen with us. You will again have compassion on us, you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Now, if you're in ancient times, if you're in Micah's time and something fell off a boat in the depths of the sea, that was it. It was lost. It was gone. And so again, the illustration is God is going to take all that brokenness from our bad decisions and our, and our mistakes. And if we confess faith in the Lord Jesus and turn things over to him, Throws it in a place where it's not coming back. I don't know how we would say it today, but we're going to shoot it in the outer space and they're going to be gone. That's the promise of the good news. And so while we're down here trying to like wrestle and we're wallowing in our our self-pity and we can't get beyond our bad mistakes and our decisions, God is like, please, I have taken care of this. Now, this doesn't mean there aren't going to be consequences to our bad mistakes and our decisions in our life here. That's the reality. We live in a broken world, and so our brokenness has an impact. But ultimately, things are going to be made new. That's good news. And secondly, even our bad decisions and mistakes that have outcomes that affect us right now, we're going to be able to deal with those outcomes and and effects in ways that we couldn't until we confess faith because God gives us things to empower us to do what we can't do on our own. And so we can live with the consequences, as hard as they may be, of our bad decisions and mistakes even now. You don't have to do that on your own. You don't have to figure out how to move on. God can help you to move on even if you're dealing with the consequences of your bad decisions and your mistakes. That is the promise of the gospel. How does this happen? We get this. Well, Jesus, Jesus, the one who brings The power. He said it like this. These are the first words out of Jesus' mouth when he started to preach. So he he went, you know, lived a life, but he started to preach when he was about 30 years old, and he said this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. How do we get access to this healing power that helps us move beyond our bad decisions and our mistakes? Jesus is like, repent. In other words, acknowledge your bad decisions and mistakes. If you pretend that they aren't real, or you keep not dealing with them, you're not gonna get beyond. Now, sometimes we hear the word repent and we get all nervous and we're like, oh, yeah. Repent is just acknowledge the mistakes and bad decisions that you've had. Acknowledge them and then confess faith in Jesus. And God is like, okay. But if you're not prepared to repent, if you're not prepared to acknowledge what what is, God is a God of consent. He doesn't force himself. He's like, if you're not going to acknowledge, I'm not going to force myself into this situation. And so repent. John, one of Jesus' disciples, he said it like this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So what are you doing? Quit wallowing, confess. Listen, repentance needs to be a part of our, I mean, of our experience as Christians every day. God, I didn't figure it out in this way. This decision was made, I wish things had been different. Confess your sins, confess your brokenness, confess, repent, acknowledge where you've gone wrong. And then God is like, He's faithful and just because Jesus came and did what he did. He can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has the moral authority to do that, to take away eternal punishment. And he has the power to help us to live with whatever outcome we're dealing with. From the consequences in this time and this place from the bad decisions and mistakes. So let's quit wallowing in them. Let's move on. Confess our sins. God is faithful and just and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. God is wanting to give us victory over our bad decisions and mistakes today. Repent, confess, and let's move on. May God do this for you today. Amen.